Welcome to episode 131 of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This time around, we're looking at Season 6, Episode 3, Triangle. The original air date was Sunday, November 22, 1998. The IMDb user score has risen from 8.5 to 8.9 out of 10. And the events take place in a combination of Washington, D.C. and the Bermuda Triangle. The basic synopsis is that the Queen Anne has reappeared in the Bermuda Triangle. Mulder heads down there to be the first to intercept it and ends up in a crashed ship. He gets pulled out of the water by the Queen Anne's crew. And thinking the crew has come forward in time, he reveals the future, only to hear a radio broadcast and realize they haven't come forward in time, he's gone back in time. So he works with the British crew to prevent Nazi boarders from taking the ship and to protect a nuclear scientist from those Nazis. The ship is filled with doppelgangers of people who are in his life, including Scully, the cigarette-smoking man, Skinner, Kirsch, Kirsch's assistant, and Spender. Meanwhile, in the present, the lone gunman and Scully work together to bring him home safely. They need to work through channels, very unofficial channels, to get Mulder's exact location. They go to meet him, They fish him out of the water again after he's dived in to try and go back through the time warp and end up seeing him recovering in the hospital. The episode was written and directed by Chris Carter. For the guest stars, we've got all the recurring guest stars, as well as Madison Mason, playing Captain Yip Harburg, named for E.Y. Harburg. And he's best known for his work in Eagle Eye, Pearl Harbor, Transformers, and the 2014 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Robert R.C. plays the bald-headed man, who's best known for Drowning Mona, Feud, Alias, and This. And Trevor Goddard plays the first British crewman, the Nazi informer. He's best known, especially when this came out, for playing Kano in Mortal Kombat. He was T-Ray in Deep Rising. And he played Grapple in Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. That was actually his final acting job before he died in 2003 as a result of an accidental drug overdose. And finally, Laura Lee Hughes is making her first of three appearances in the X-Files, all in the same role as Kirsch's assistant. She's best known for virtuosity, Rizzolian Isles, this, and things you can tell just by looking at her. Now, this episode was filmed on the Queen Mary, which is a permanently docked vessel which serves as a combination museum and hotel just outside Long Beach. Those who owned and managed the Queen Mary were very happy with the 1013 production crew. They had had very recent experiences with crews from Disney and 20th Century Fox Productions. There were a lot of crews through there. There's actually 120 listings for things filmed there on the Internet Movie Database. And they were constantly dealing with these crews causing damage to the ship, overrunning the schedules and shooting after the agreed-upon hours, shooting with higher noise levels than anticipated, which were problems for the hotel guests, and so forth. And the 1013 production crew was commended upon the wrap for being the first crew that never had an issue and managed to do their job within every constraint that the Queen Mary gave them. Now, this also had a lot of film homages. Chris Carter set out to homage things that he loved and present challenges for himself, and it turns out others. 
So on top of having half the cast speak German when they were doing it, there were a number of homages to The Wizard of Oz, specifically the 1939 film, starting with Mulder's original ship, the wrecked one at the opening, titled The Lady Garland. Then we see doppelgangers of the other characters during his fantastical experiences. We get the singer named Almira Gulch, which was the name of the cranky neighbor that Toto bit, who ended up representing the Wicked Witch of the West. Her backup group was called the Lollipop Guild, which was a reference to the munchkins in that 1939 Wizard of Oz. And Captain Yip Harburg was a reference to E.Y. Harburg, a writer who did an uncredited rewrite of the 1939 movie's script. Those are the obvious references that a lot of people would get. In addition, there's also a massive tribute to Alfred Hitchcock's Rope, a 1948 film co-starring Jimmy Stewart. In that one, Hitchcock set himself the challenge to try and make a movie without any visible edits or cuts of any kind. But film reels were limited to 10 minutes at a time, so to make a movie that was over 80 minutes long, they had to have at least eight cuts. So somewhere obvious, the opening credits are an exterior shot, and then it just cuts to inside an apartment where most of the action takes place. There's one other plainly visible cut with the big reveal at the end, because Hitchcock found you just couldn't set that up or pan over to have the right reaction you needed in a close-up for it. But other than that, he did do his best to hide all the cuts. So people would open a trunk lid, and that trunk lid would fill the screen, and then they would be able to cut. So stop the camera and restart the camera on the still open trunk lid and continue filming. In another cut, he had a man in a dark suit stabbed so close to the camera that it blocked the entire camera view so they could cut and resume filming with the man standing in front of the camera. So Chris Carter tried to do this one in an homage to that with four takes of 11 minutes long. Now, there are no visible cuts in each of these takes, but there are cuts going on either when they're in darkness or when Scully's going through FBI headquarters. There just have to be cuts because there's multiple sets. She gets in an elevator in one place and has to get out of an elevator in a different set because none of them are real elevators. They're all on the same level floor. So every time she gets on or off an elevator, there's what they call a whip pan. So it's focused on someone whose toe she stepped on or someone standing outside the elevator. And then the camera rapidly whips around, blurring the image of what you see with no people, just stationary objects in view. And that's when they can cut the film and splice in another one. So they finish one take with a whip pan, start the next take with a whip pan in the same direction at the same level, and end up marrying the two together well enough that the audience is not going to see the cuts. It's not a filmmaking technique that a lot of viewers would notice, but once you notice it, it's hard not to genuinely appreciate how much of a challenge that would have been to put together. So as a piece of entertainment, I find that this works really, really well. As for the science, well, the Bermuda Triangle has long been known for the sudden disappearances of boats and aircraft and whatnot. It's known as a mystery culturally to this day because mysteries are compelling and lead to fun speculation and fiction and without, like the time travel or time warp 
that was proposed in this episode. So supernatural and natural explanations are plentiful, but the bottom line is that it boils down to statistics. The Bermuda Triangle is actually one of the most heavily traveled areas in the world. So when you look at the statistics for the percentage of verified vehicles traveling in this region compared to other regions, you find that the verified disappearances are in proportion with the amount of traffic it gets, the level of pirate activity it experiences, you know, because, yeah, pirates still are a thing to this day, but they don't like witnesses, so they tend to sink the ships that they've robbed. So it's all in line. And this is especially true when you keep in mind that I kept saying verified flights and crafts and disappearances. When you dig into a lot of the older tales of missing ships, not only can you not verify that the ship disappeared, but some of these records that have been attributed to disappearing cannot be found in any port records as ever being in that port and leaving in the first place. So it looks like a lot of the ships that are quote-unquote famous for disappearing in the Bermuda Triangle never even existed in the first place, so they never went away. It just became a source of fictional stories based on its reputation. And it kept building from there. In any event, that's all we have to say about Triangle. Remember, feedback can always be sent to Bureau42Podcasts at gmail.com. And join us again in two weeks' time when we look at both parts of Dreamland. Thank you for listening.